everybody. Welcome back to Creative Ops, a podcast for creative people by creative people. I've been so fortunate to talk to some really incredible folks lately, today's guest notwithstanding. Before I tell you about him, I want to tell you about my friends. The Irie Kitchen is the newest sponsor of Creative Ops. They are phenomenal. I ate there before they were a sponsor and I had the jerk pork. It was so good that I reached out to them and I was like, hey, are you guys interested in doing something with a podcast? And they said, heck yeah, man, let's do it up. So I went over there and I met Vince who started the place when he was 19 and they make the best organic Caribbean street food anywhere. Yeah, just anywhere. These guys are on Kalamazoo Avenue in Grand Rapids. So go check them out. I-R-I-E. Irie. Irie Kitchen. Taste the rhythm. I realize that sounds way cooler with a Jamaican accent, but I don't have one. So (laughs) go there and taste the rhythm. Nope, that's worse. Irie Kitchen on Kalamazoo Avenue. You can find them online at www.irie.kitchen. Rivertown Adventures. I love it so much. My good friend Paul, who was on episode one, it's his baby. My friend Nate, who was on episode 16, he's the co-founder of it also. You guys got to check this thing out. Listen to both of these guys. They've got cool stories too. Rivertown Adventures in Lansing, Michigan is the most fun you will have outdoors. Kayaks, canoes, stand-up paddle boards, tandem kayaks. They've got a big boat for events. Check these guys out. Rivertownadventures.com. It's the place you're going to want to be when it gets warm enough to go out with your friends and you're thinking, well, what can we do fun outside, be socially distanced, but still be together and having a great time? Look no further. RivertownAdventures.com. New routes coming this year, too. So now you can explore the Red Cedar River, the Grand River, and the Looking Glass River. New routes, new territories, expansion bigger, better. It's one of the few things that I, like I said, that you can do outdoors with friends and not feel like, oh man, should we be should we be doing this together? You absolutely should. Rivertownadventures.com. Live free. Go paddle. Baby Farm Soaps is the best soap I was going to say on the planet, but that's not good enough. Let's say the, the entirety of the known universe. Baby Farm Soaps is a small company that makes organic products that are consumer-minded. It's all organic. There's nothing gross in it. You're going to love the way that it feels. Your kids are going to love it too. Every single person in my family saw it. I was like, "What? which one should we get? And they said, well, we all want our own. So all six people in my family have their own bar. And these bars last a long time too. So that's the nice thing. Not only that, we all have our our own chapstick, multiple flavors. I'm going to get some beard balm in the mail for my beautiful beard. My mustache almost covers my entire mouth at this point, so I need something to kind of keep that soft and in line, and so do you if you've got one. So please, go to Baby Farm Soaps on Facebook. All right, Baby Farm Soaps. They got the best stuff around, especially coming out of this winter. Their hand cream has been a, a lifesaver for me, and especially for my son. His knuckles crack and bleed almost daily until we got that stuff. Baby Farm Soaps. Check them out. Hey Guys Media Group at heyguysmediagroup.com. Hey Guys Media Group did not approve that. Hey Guys Media Group is the place to go if you're thinking about starting a podcast. They can consult you and give you a price just on like, hey, yeah, this is what you're going to need to do because there's a lot of things that I didn't think about when I was putting mine together and they helped me. I write for heyguysmediagroup.com and some of their uh, affiliated podcasts and sponsors and it's just a great company. I was on one of the podcasts that is one of their flagship podcasts as a guest and they said, hey man, you should do this too. We can help you and we made a a professional arrangement that turned into a friendship between me and these guys. They're really, really cool people and they're not just trying to take your money all day either. They want to make you able to do it on your own like I 
for the most part am. <laughs> so check them out, okay? HeyGuysMediaGroup.com. They will help you make your podcast. All right, let's get into this. I spoke with Mike Augustine, but call him Augie. So I spoke with Augie today, and he's a guy who works for a company that's in brands and trends. I, I hope I said that right. And he talks about that a little bit and some of the things that he does because uh, he brings a really particular skill set, kind of like Liam Neeson, that has been used on a lot of cool things. He was part of the Signal podcast in kind of a, I'm not sure, like a consulting collaboration capacity. He did his own event that was inspired by Jeff Hull's Jejun Institute in Cincinnati called CXD, which was uh, something that he'll talk about. I, I don't want to get too much into it and cover what he's going to say better than I could anyway. I always want to do that in my interest. And then, you know what? I'm just going to let him talk because he's an interesting guy. Whether it's gaming, escape rooms, escaping from escape rooms, and winning lots of money for being a champion escape room artist, going to world championships in escape room events, designing escape rooms. He's just a really, really interesting creative dude. And uh, we bonded over our love for science fiction and time travel too. Really cool guy, really creative guy, um, immensely intelligent guy and very personable approachable guy so uh yeah please enjoy the interview with my new friend mike augie augustine came to know you in the first place. So how did you get tangled up with Jeff Hull? So um, years ago now, uh, I was browsing Netflix pretty casually, and uh, the Institute yeah. came up on the list, and I didn't really know what it was, um, and happened to watch that, and it, like, not to not to put a big bow on it, but it kind of changed me entirely. Uh, it, it blew my mind. It was just, um, it was an approach to... I guess design in a way that I had I felt like I hadn't seen before, um, and you know I'm I'm also out here in the Midwest I'm out in Ohio and I feel like we're uh, a little late to things on occasion yeah um, so so seeing that this was not only like blowing my mind but also that at this point it was several years old I think that was in like 2009 that it actually happened I was like man this is this is awesome and 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 I want to do it and I and I got to figure out how to do it and. Uh, let me know if this is going too far off the rails, but basically <laughs> um, I, I was like, I'm, I'm doing this. I was like, I need to, I need to make one of these. Yeah. Um, I'd had, I'd had similar responses to several things in the, the last few years at that point. Like uh, I worked in trends um, for a design agency uh, and I'm, I'm still living the agency life now. Uh, but I had heard about escape rooms uh, and in a very similar vein, I was like, this sounds awesome. I want to do this. And they didn't exist, uh, especially not in the Midwest at that point. I think there were like a few on the coasts and I was like, okay, well I'll just, I'll just make it then I'll make one, you know? So I started making them for the company that I worked for. And, you know, within a few years we were doing the same thing for, for clients and, and team building activities. Um, but when I saw the Institute, I was like, I got, I got to build one. Like, I don't have this to play with around here, so I got to make it. So I I found a, a philanthropy lab uh, locally here that's part of a, a large trust. And they had taken this new viewpoint where instead of giving large amounts of money to a handful of corporations to do good social things, they were like, what happens if we take uh, 
a couple of smaller grant chunks and give them to individuals in the community um, who think that they can do something to improve the community itself. Hmm. So I saw that as a challenge and I was like, okay, I want to build something like the Institute and I want to have it focused on getting people in my city out into the, the cultural touchstones that are available to them that are free that they might not know about. So I, I built this grandiose plan um, and, and submitted it in, you know, in a, in a grant application. So it's like 10 questions that are like 150 words each. And I'm, and I'm using words like transmedia, uh, experience. And they had like three stages of judging and, um, I make it to the final stage and, and I, I go in for an interview and they're like, you know what? Uh, this sounds awesome. Everybody loves this idea. No one knows what you're talking about. <laughs> and I was like, that's totally fair. I, I don't really know what I'm talking about either. I'm, I'm definitely flying off the cuff here. Um, so I didn't get the grant. So I went back to the lab. And I was like, I need to figure out not only what this is, but how to explain this to people who, like me, six months ago, have no reference point for what this experience looks like. Right. So I went back. Uh, I talked to the grant organization and i was like hey instead of these like five questions with 150 words um which are great for a lot of the other grants you know people were like i want to build a community garden everyone knows what that means right uh i was like i want to build an alternate reality transmedia experience and they were like you know those <laughs> those eight words don't do anything right um so i i went back and i was like okay i need to figure out how to explain this to people who don't know what this is how to put this into a construct that they're more familiar with um and I ended up getting getting the grant for that. And then I spent like a, a year, um, six months building and then six months running this experience uh, throughout Cincinnati um, and was able to partner with the the city library, mm -hmm. um, the local art museum, the Contemporary Arts Center, um, a couple of the hotels that have like art galleries kind of built into them. Um, quite a few of like the, the mainstays. And the idea was to get people to interact with something in a way that was new fresh uh, but also get them to these places to just be like oh i didn't know this was here you know i didn't know i could come check this place out for free um and it was all offered to you know people of all ages for no cost um and it went it went really well and it was very heavily inspired by the institute and i, I reached out to jeff um on a couple of occasions and i was just like hey man you know i hope you don't mind i'm definitely like taking some of the ideas that you've put into practice um and and remodeling them a bit for what fits better in my community. Um, and we kind of started a dialogue from that. Uh, you know, it, that led up to just a general interest in, in his approach to what a lot of that design looks like. So mm. um, I ended up running a, a premiere for In Bright Axiom, um, the, the second documentary from mm -hmm. them uh, here in town. And then uh, at a certain point, I'd reached out to Jeff. and I was just like, look, man, you know, I like the work you're doing. Uh, how, how can I help? And, you know, he was, he was working on signal at the time and, and, you know, let me, let me come on and, and get my feet wet a bit. Yeah. It must've been wild, huh? <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's always been crazy. Um, but that was, that was not what I was expecting. You know, you expect to reach out to a, to like a hero and a mentor and be like, Hey, what can I do? And then, you know, they'll be like, keep on doing what you're doing. And Jeff was like, yeah, man, let's, let's roll. <laughs> like, what do you got? <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Thank goodness for the internet, because otherwise, uh, Midwest guys like us would not be able to get in touch with people that are doing the uh, big, big time things out on the coast. This is this is very true. I um, I've been very fortunate in that work has allowed me to travel uh, on occasion, and 
all of my work trips have just been like, how many cool things can I fit in without sleeping in like this three day period that I can take back and then like figure out how to rework into some new designs for right. me. <laughs> okay. Now I got to ask you because I'm, I've seen your um, Instagram and I see over your shoulder what the captain says is law. Is that what that says? Oh yeah. That, uh, that came with the place. Yeah. Because uh, people that still don't know what I'm talking about, you live on a houseboat. I live on a tiny houseboat. That is correct. <laughs> and does that have uh, like, you can keep it in the water all winter long in, in Ohio? You know, it's funny. If you ask people that have boats, they would say no. But technically, you can. <laughs> you just need to be okay with living in a very cold place yeah. uh, for a couple months out of the year. Um, yeah, if if I mean, we can cover this real quick if you're if you're up for it. Yeah. No. I, when I when I saw a guy in the Midwest living in a houseboat, I was like, <laughs> okay, that's awesome because I always talk about like you know things that I'm not going to do, like moving to the Pacific Northwest to live in a houseboat. <laughs> Totally, totally. Uh, yeah, so um, I, I'm, I'm a super social cat, like have always had roommates and loved it. Um, and I grew up here in Cincinnati, uh, went out to St. Louis area for undergrad, Colorado for grad school, came back here and um, really kind of fell in love with the city that I grew up in for the first time. Hmm. Uh, Cincinnati had made a lot of big improvements. So I was like, oh, you know what, I got, I got family here. Um, I found a good job. And I was like, I'm gonna stick around. And there was yeah. one neighborhood in particular that I really wanted to stay in if I stayed here. It was Mount Adams, it's right up next to downtown. It's a gorgeous spot. Um, so I moved in there, but it's, it's also like a pretty pricey place. So sure. um, had, a, had a roommate for a couple of years. Uh, he moved on, picked up another couple of roommates. And um, the end of last year, uh, my two roommates who were a couple, uh, shout out to Aaron and Claire, who are now living in a 75 VW bus uh, out west yeah uh we all kind of gave up the house life um they they were looking to get out and i was like you know what uh i don't i don't want to buy a house like i I don't i don't own anything it's just not for me i already feel like the space i'm in is too big yeah i was like okay i'll you know i'll look at i'll look at vans and they and i had kind of looked at vans independently together um and it wasn't it wasn't quite for me and then i was like oh well you know maybe a tiny house like tiny houses sound cool and i and i think they are but the biggest problem is like, it's kind of hard to find a place to put them. There's a lot of zoning regulations, right. you know, um, they're still pretty premium price wise for, for kind of the niche. Uh, and one of my friends who, like one of my best friends, uh, shout out to Denton, who used to live on a houseboat in New York was like, dude, get a houseboat. I was like, that's not an option. You can't do that. <laughs> and I was very much wrong. So I, uh, I did, I did some research. I snapped off and uh, made some good friends in the community, bought a houseboat, uh, been here since November. It's a 36 foot 1989 Gibson. It's super tiny, but it's got like a kitchen behind me, full size fridge. I got a shower in here. Um, <laughs> it's everything I need to work on. Plus I get to wake up on the river each morning and you know, people have their opinions about the Ohio river, but, uh, That's I, the one that caught I, on fire once, right? I think that was the Cuyahoga, technically. Okay. If I'm recalling correctly from Major League, uh, classic 90s baseball movie. <laughs> um, but but it's basically the same. The river's definitely seen some some better days, but uh, also might take on the project of trying to do some PR for the river at some point. Oh, yeah, I love nice. it. I know it sounds ridiculous, and it's it's been cold. I had to shovel my house three times last week, uh, but uh, it's it's something that wasn't on my radar and has been a super, super cool experience. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, um, one of the guys I'm going to interview next is the guy that was first on my show who, um, owns Rivertown Adventures and they, yeah, 
I don't know if you checked that one out or not, but um, I did. Yeah, actually, that's that's where I am right now. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, he uh, did the same thing with uh, the Grand River that goes through Lansing. Uh, when they first opened up that uh, business there, you could hardly walk into the river. There was so much garbage. So they had yeah. to spend a lot of time just picking out garbage. And they actually found a lot of historical objects, too. Um, oh, cool. like old, uh, those old glass things that they would put on the electric transistors. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. Actually, they, found yeah. A, they found a ton of those, some old bottles. They found a message in a bottle that some MSU grad student had written about how hard grad school was and her parents don't understand her and then just floated it down the river and they picked that up. Wow. Okay. Heck yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's fun to, uh, to, uh, try to bring some life to the water, especially if you've got good water near you and it's been yeah, neglected, mm-hmm. which Unfortunately, that seems kind of like a Midwest thing. People are just like, oh, water in the Midwest, not really a thing. I think so. Yep. So, okay. Cincinnati is a town that recently got put on um, on Creative Ops's uh, spotlight anyway, because my guest Clay McAndrews uh, from a couple episodes ago hosts a mural festival um, in Jackson, Michigan called Bright Walls. And he said that he was inspired by several festivals, but he said that by far the best mural festival he's ever seen was Blink in Cincinnati, yeah. which blew yeah, my Blink mind because is... Cincinnati is just, it's another one of those Midwest towns that if you're not from there, you don't know much about. They've got totally a team. Like they've got a college. <laughs> yeah. Super fair. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's there. This city has really come up um, in in at least the last like two decades. And, you know, we've, we've got our issues, I think as, as all cities do, but um, the arts here in particular have, have done some really cool things. And Blink is definitely one of those. And um, Blink had undergone several iterations to get to the point where it is now. Um, I think it was technically a luminosity before that. And Mm -hmm. they were just figuring out, you know, what, what do people want? What can we do? How can we, how can we get the arts into more of a public eye? How can we make them something that's more interactive? And, you know, it went from, projection mapping onto one or two buildings and that was selling out immediately and they were like oh people people want this like people are looking for more ways to do this and they just don't have the the options or the opportunities so you know that sold out immediately for i think a couple of years and then they tra- decided to take it bigger and now i mean you know this this past year uh we won't talk about but before that um blink was an absolute phenomenon i mean it was the kind of thing that i had never seen in this city before they had, they shut down half the streets downtown and even the ones that weren't shut down you couldn't drive on there's people everywhere there's an interaction that's totally different and unique on almost every street corner there's parts of downtown and pendleton and otr that are trying to take like their little spin on on what they've got or what their history is and add that to the festival so it's it's equal parts just like a really interesting and unique public art show and then also it's just people that are like hey something cool is going down we want to throw it on this so you'll you'll turn the street and one of the one of the alleys has just a dozen giant seesaws with lights on each side so it like it just becomes a playground it was an opportunity that took place across downtown but you also had a lot of the little um like the sub neighborhoods around downtown bring in their own flavor to it yeah um so your pendleton and your otr and they were they were like, okay, Blink is this great, massive, you know, interactive mural festival, but also um, we want to highlight our local breweries. Yeah. Or we want to highlight, um, you know, this this great playground we have here. Um, so people were figuring out how to add 
unique installations to whatever it was that their neighborhood had to offer. Yeah. And it made it this awesome discovery piece. Um, you know, I think like a lot of other cities, our downtown had had a period of time where people didn't want to go there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you talk to someone like my my mom and she's still kind of of that opinion. Like it's it's a bit of a scary place. And, and, and it is and it was for a long time. But it's also it's also come up in, you know, some ways that are potentially problematic, but also some ways that are like very inviting. So I think Blink was an opportunity for a lot of people to get back down into that area for the first time in a long time and have a, a really great kind of metamorphic experience yeah. in their minds where it was like, this is not the place that I thought it was. There's so much more down here. There's so many more things to do. It's so much more lively. Yeah. Yeah. It's great to see that in places. It just, it tells you that there's um, something to a place when they appreciate art. Absolutely. And when they, and when they highlight that art too. Um, mm-hmm. So I want to get into the stuff that uh, you have done that I've seen some of the videos about. So let's go uh, chronologically. Uh, did the Red Bull games happen first, or was the <laughs> the the team that you were recruited on for the Escape Room uh, World Championships, which was first? Uh, so my relationship with Red Bull has been all over the place. Um, <laughs> I uh, I was I was working at a previous agency um, in Trends, and they had me. Um, you say a, an agency in Trends? What a, for somebody who doesn't work in Trends? What does that mean? Sorry. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, living in the agency life, um, the, you know, I've worked at basically branding and marketing firms and, and graphic design firms. Mm-hmm. Um, and the work that I had done in trends basically had to do with our large scale clients saying, you know, what is our industry or this subsection of our industry going to look like in 20 years, mm. um, you know, up to 50 years. So like, how can we plan ahead? Um, so it's, it's basically just a whole lot of research. Um, and then synthesis, you know, so like, here's what we've seen from other countries. Here's what we're seeing in, in similar organizations, uh, or adjacencies. Um, and then trying to figure out, okay, you know, if, if this scenario happens sociopolitically, uh, or in, in this climate, how does that change the outlook? So, um, it's a whole lot of, uh, research, guessing and checking, um, and and trying to figure out what's going to be the next, not necessarily even the next big thing, but the next minor thing, you know, the kind of thing that we will take for granted in a couple of years, but being able to help predominantly brands um, kind of make that transition into that path. Yeah. So how do so, you, how, how do the skill set for the things that you're passionate about, how do, how do they line up? Like how does designing escape rooms, getting out of escape rooms, how does that line up with like branding? Uh, and, and which came first too? Were you like, I kind of want to work in this field and I'll <laughs> figure out a way to adapt my skills to that? Or did you kind of pick those skills up when you started getting into that world or, or what? Uh, I, I, if there's a through line, it's probably an obsession with human psychology. And I know that sounds weird, but like what, so I, you know, both of my, my undergrad and my grad degrees are in English language and literature. Uh-huh. Um, and I think, Maybe where it started for me was in... Cheers uh, on the liter- uh, degree, by the way. Oh, thanks. Man. I'll actually, <laughs> I love it, yeah. I like mine. Um, I, I think for me, it actually started with uh, with gaming um, and particularly finding out how to get into like competitive gaming. So I would say, um, you know, as early as late high school, I got really involved with like collectible card games, things like Magic and things like that. Yeah. And I mean, by the time I was an undergrad, you know, I was on the, the pro circuit for Versus, which was another collectible card game for like six years and like you know i was i was helping pay rent playing cards um, awesome. but 
a lot of what that was was were, um, did that did that completely miff your parents like were they like you can't play games for a living oh you can uh i so after high school i went to university of cincinnati for about two weeks dropped out then i went to a community <laughs> college a little bit while after that dropped out uh and then one of my good friends shelly uh basically drug me off to college in st louis and i think at that point my parents well i was just like hey man like if you're if you're doing anything productive i'm all for it right <laughs> um but yeah i think it's been a surprise to a lot of people uh and you know even still the the background that I have in in gaming has definitely changed the way that I approach everything I do, right? So when you're playing a competitive game, whether that's competitive fighting games, competitive board or card games, you know, you're you're working within a, a defined set of parameters. You've got mm. these rules and you're like, how can I bend these? And then at the same time, you're looking at an opponent and you're like, this is someone else who also has a, a goal. Like they're trying to win this. They're trying to beat me. How are they approaching this? Like, what is the what is the way that they're looking at this scenario? And that actually has had a lot of transition into the way that I've worked on things like branding. Well, that sounds strategy. that sounds like when you break it down that way, just that kind of um, that uh, analytical mind with the grasp on the psychology as well. You know, it that, it almost seems like there's not too many other ways those could pull together besides what you do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I you know, I, I I'm a, I'm a game theorist at heart. And I'm always trying to think about, okay, you know, what is it that's going to get me to make this decision? Yeah. Um, what is it that it's going to get to to get my parents to make that decision? Mm. Um, and then kind of backfilling information from there to be like, okay, an experience designed with this in mind to elicit this uh, emotion um, can help get people to the point where they're going to make decision A versus decision B. Right. So when you're putting together a, a live... Uh, to use Jeff's term, participatory arts type of thing. Mm -hmm. How I, I tried to get into this with him too, and I feel like I did a poor job of it. How do you actually sit down and go, okay, I'm going to make scenario A. I want the person to feel this. So do you start with the feeling? Do you start with the um, actual physical or mental challenge? Uh, you know, what's, what's, what's square one for putting stuff like that together? Uh, I know at least for me, they, it, it changes regularly, right? So there are times when I'm like, okay, I want people to have experience X and I don't think that that is getting fulfilled in their normal everyday life. Mm. I don't think they're getting that experience from like, you know, uh, Netflix, video games, um, bar interactions, things like that. Mm. And then I'll work backwards to be like, okay, well, how could we, how could we get there? You know, and do people even want that? And then there's other times where I'm thinking, okay, um, we have this untapped opportunity locally. What is the best way to get this in front of people? So that, you know, focuses more on what is this particular offering? Like, what do, what do we have maybe in Cincinnati that we don't have somewhere else? And then I'm like, okay, well, now how do I, again, introduce that to people in a way that's approachable, but also intriguing? Yeah. I mean, whenever I look at anything like this, you've always got to think that the potential participant could be spending their time doing anything or nothing. Right. Like you're literally fighting Netflix. You're fighting the couch. Uh, in other times, you're fighting the movie theater. And it's like, okay, if the, if the individual is going to sit there and think, I've got these three options for what I can do. I've got uh, X friends that want to join in. I've got Y dollars that I'm willing to spend. How do you create something that is going to be enthralling enough that it 
can overcome that barrier of familiarity. Right. You know, we, we always default to the things that we're comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, and I'm absolutely, I don't even want to say I'm guilty of this. Like, you know, this is just something we do. Yeah. I'm totally down to just like throw on Netflix and it's like, okay, what would it take to get me to do something out of my comfort zone? Yeah. And then working from there. That's interesting. Yeah. Cause I, um, I have, uh, well, we talked uh, about the literature degree, but I also was trained to be a middle school teacher and they say the same, same thing when you're, um, trying to figure out how to teach somebody, figure out what it is you need them to learn and then go backwards. Like what are the steps that get to that place? So that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so then like you had said in the Midwest, there weren't a ton of escape rooms. How did you, well, no, you already said that somebody brought you to one, right? Oh, no, no. So I, uh, <laughs> I, had, I had done a bunch of research and I was like, I would love to do one of these. I looked around. There's nothing for hundreds of miles. Uh, so I was like, okay, uh, I'll build one. So I, I built one so in. You hadn't even been to one. And no. had anybody been like, hey, man, I just saw this really cool thing. Or just like one day you were on YouTube and you're like, oh, escape rooms. Yeah, not at all. I had actually tried to do as much research as possible, but I couldn't find anything. And a lot of it was because a lot of the research I had seen was translated from other languages. And like the the vocabularies around something like puzzles inside of a room don't translate very well. Sure. Um, I had known that the the kind of inspiration for a lot of the games in uh, Asia were the the old kind of point and click search video games. Mm. So I was like, OK, well, I know that. I don't know how they translated this to a real life experience, but I can at least start from this point and see what I can do with it. Mm. And to be totally honest, it was pretty awful. Um, <laughs> like the the very first one I had made, um, we kind of we tested it with groups from the agency I was with. And I think everybody had a really good time and I got great feedback on it. But I look back at it now and I'm like, man, I had no idea what I was doing. Um, and I didn't know who my audience was. Um, right. And that, that's been something that's I've I've tried to focus on whenever I'm creating any kind of new experience. You know, is the audience gamers? Is the audience people that love puzzles? Is the audience people that are just looking for some kind of differentiated experience? But is it that is first it, escape room I made? I had a knights and knaves puzzle in there. You know, like the this one can only tell the truth and this person can only tell lies. But it was like I love that a really complicated <laughs> like three part system, and everybody that went through it was like we just don't have the background in this like we haven't done one of these before i was like okay okay so you know it, it took some guessing and checking and some learning um and i i was fortunate enough that by the time that escape rooms came around to this area um i was able to hit them up and be like hey i've actually been making these like i can help you test i can help you design um and that led to some really cool relationships as well yeah yeah i've only done one um but uh how do i put this i was <laughs> I was in an elevated state of mind at the time, yeah, and absolutely. So were so were the people I was in it with, and we did not get very far. <laughs> those are those are tough scenarios. So yeah, I, I would like to tackle one with uh, with all my wits about me sometime. Um, uh, actually, I don't know how close you are to uh, Detroit, but um, about eighty eight miles from where I sit. All right, so I would I would highly recommend Decode Detroit. Decode uh, Detroit. Yeah, um, and they've got they've got a couple of new games, uh, but definitely definitely my favorite in the area. Shout out to Pat and Doyle. That's uh, just an absolutely incredible experience. Uh, my favorite one that I've had in Michigan, as far as escape rooms go. Huh? Yeah, I'll definitely check it out. I went to one in um, one in Grand Rapids, where uh, near where I live. So I'm I'm very intrigued by the uh, 
the idea of like, oh, I want that and it's not here, so I'm just going to go get it. That seems to be something that's pretty common too with like the people that I've interviewed, just people that are doing cool creative stuff. Oftentimes it's because they wanted something that wasn't there before. Same thing with uh, Clay with Brightwalls. He was like, you know, I've, I went to Cincinnati and I saw Blink and it was amazing. And I was like, why don't we have that in my town? So he brought it to his town too, you know, well, his yep. own version of it. But <laughs> the Red Bull thing, very interesting to me, but I'm, I'm not going to lie. I can't say that I understood it completely from the video. Um, totally. Because the video just kind of talks about like, it's all about putting these puzzles together and it shows you with your hands on these mechanical things. But like, it didn't give a, a clear sense of what the challenges were actually like. So yeah, they, uh, so Red Bull has a, you know, everybody knows Red Bull for their approach to extreme sports. Mm -hmm. Um, they have another section called mind gamers, um, which is basically trying to do to STEM, um, you know, what they had done to sports in the past. Uh, so my, my first interaction with them, uh, was, I had written an article about the way that they were interacting with their constituents, hmm. um, you know, where a lot of brands are presenting these like lowest common denominator experiences where they're just like, they don't have much of an expectation from their clientele. It's just like, you know, here you can, you can click on this link. You can passively uh, enjoy this content. Um, Red Bull's mind gamers ran a series of challenges that were pretty high on the expectation meter. Yeah. Uh, and one of those early ones was a quantum physics challenge. Um, and I had, I had written about it and I was like, this actually sounds kind of cool. And then I, again, kind of going back to, you know, there's not an escape room here. I want to build one. I was like, I wonder how many people are going to look at this and go, I can't do that. Like, <laughs> I don't know quantum physics. And I was like, well, I don't know quantum physics, but I like learning things. So right. I, I went into the tank and did some research and then made a submission for that. And I ended up, I ended up winning that. So they sent me to Austria for a two week internship at the Vienna center for quantum research. And that was my intro to Red Bull's Mind Gamers. Uh, and it blew my mind. Um, you know, that's the kind of experience that I never thought I would be able to have. What are what are some of the things that you had to do? I, I actually, I did, a, I did a Bell's Theorem. So I, um, I, I did a Bell test. I, I entangled particles. Um, I actually, like, they set me up in the lab and they were like, you know, here's all the equipment you need. Um, here's some additional information that you might not know. Here's a few things we can teach you. Like, go for it. <laughs> I spent two weeks like putting this together, and I actually got to entangle particles. Uh, it's it's bonkers. Um, you know, I was I was getting introduced to 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 quantum computing techniques that they were working on. Um, I mean, it was it was very much not a. Uh, I don't want to say it wasn't like a a, a tourist uh, experience because like they were also just super cool. Everybody there was fantastic. Uh, but I also like, I had the opportunity to strap in and learn if I wanted to, yeah. you know, I absolutely could have just been like, Hey, this is great. Uh, you know, I was going to go walk around the city for a while. Uh, and they were like, you know, it's, it's up to you. Like if you want to engage with this, feel free. So I was, I was in it and loved it. Hmm. Okay. So the world championship thing, how did you end up getting, yes. yeah. how did you end up getting recruited for this? Like, <laughs> I mean, I mean, we've talked about the things that you've done. It sounds like you're more than capable, but still, for somebody to go out and say, I'm going to assemble the four people in the United States that are best qualified to do this. How did how did you get pulled into that? I will say as a caveat, we're probably the second best foursome from the United States. So uh, we, 
I'm, I'm in a couple of um, Slack groups that are focused on things like immersive experiences and escape rooms. And in those, we tend to share a lot of experiences that are just like worth checking out. You know, I was on a trip to New York and very early on, a couple of friends were like, you have to check out Sleep No More. And I was like, okay. So I went there, checked that out. One of, the, one of my top recommendations for an experience in the United States. Um, and through that, you get to know that people have certain uh, specialties. So like, you know, when I, when I talk about, Hey, go check out decode Detroit. That's a guy that I met through this Slack channel. Mm. And I was like, Hey, I'm, I'm heading to, to Michigan. I'd like to do some rooms while I'm there. What do we recommend? And somebody else was like, go check out Patton. And I talked to him and he was like, go check out here. And he was absolutely right. So like, there's been a network um, that's predominantly happened over Slack in the last few years. And a lot of them are moving to discord. Mm. Um, and those communities have just been incredible. Um, I've, I've helped out running uh Recon, which is a, an escape room conference now that we, we launched last year, um, was supposed to be in Boston, but obviously went digital, uh, running that again digitally this year in a couple of months. So building some experiences for that. But like um, I made I made a bunch of friends on there. So our team we put together was Rich and Nick from California and my boy Dan from from Indiana. And, you know, we're, we're people that never would have crossed paths elsewise. But thanks to some of these communities, we were able to get together and be like, OK, you know, I think we've got uh, comparable skill sets and and we can work together pretty well. Um, we actually flew out to to California for a qualifier for this and lost to the team that went on to become the Team USA team. Hmm. Uh, and then we were like, you know, we're we're close, we're good enough, we want to do this. So there was a wild card qualifier, um, and this is worldwide. There's like 28 countries competing in this, uh, and we managed to win the wild card worldwide. So the, you know, in this case, the U.S. was the only country that had two teams representing because we were the wild card selection for it. Nice. And then went out to the U.K. Um, that was an incredible experience too because it was you know again a uh, a very unique design. You know, because Red Bull is trying to put together the series of challenges for I was, people. I was going to from... say these are probably not just like your normal escape rooms. These are like total mind f escape rooms, right? Yeah, yeah. So this is <laughs> this is a like intended to be as challenging as possible. Um, but B also had some really interesting design parameters to work with, right? So they don't want to use language um, because if you're including a language by default, you're absolutely giving some people who are native speakers of that language an advantage, even if it's unintentional. So is and then, everything just purely visual? This was entirely language neutral, the entire experience. It was bonkers. Not even want to say it was strictly visual because there were parts of this that were entirely auditory um, or entirely tactile. How could it or, be auditory without the somebody saying something sounds uh there were several puzzles that involved like strictly sound waves and then sound wave manipulation <laughs> um so it's it was it was a super unique experience that doesn't need to exist anywhere else you know like right i'm not gonna make a room in cincinnati <laughs> and be like all right we're, all, we're not gonna use english at all um you have to but, hit just the know. right note on the theremin to open the door <laughs> Actually, that would be really cool. Um, you can have that. But yeah, that's that's also been like a really, it was a really eye-opening experience. Um, and especially at that time, the Red Bull Mind Gamers group was looking at, you know, how can we create things for people that are, um, that are functional, irrespective of culture, right? Yeah. Um, and Which they sounds like an awful challenge to <laughs> put upon yourself. Yeah, they they did they did great work though. Um, I think they've done a really incredible job at trying to to bridge that gap. And huh. you know, it's obviously like it's something that they're still working on. A lot of us that were involved have have taken to heart. I was going to say, um, have you have you tried to do anything like that where you're like, yeah, I'm going to 
throw people off their normal loop without r- regular written language or normal words and stuff? I'll say I'll say not as much. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that um, a lot of the work that I'm doing right now is is designed to be as approachable as possible. Sure. Um, so especially in the last year, I've worked with a lot of local nonprofits who, you know, they usually have their their traditional fundraising gala. And that's that's how the nonprofit functions for the most part. Um, you know, it's a big it's a big pull for them. But with uh, the pandemic, they weren't really able to have that. So they were like, how do we how do we engage our constituency and how do we keep people involved and how do we stay top of mind? when we can't meet up at a fancy gala. Um, so that's been everything from creating uh, citywide scavenger hunts yeah. um, to Which, online puzzle experiences. And I'm sorry, I got I to gotta interrupt you real quick, though, because if I, I'm going to forget about it. I saw this one part in the video where you were throwing water on a, on a cement <laughs> wall, and then when you get it wet, you see the one part. Like, just all those different kinds of clues. Not yeah. even that specific one. How much research do you have to do just to, because, okay, hold on a second. I got too many thoughts in my head all at once. Ah! <laughs> it seems like when you look at all of the challenges and things that have to be decoded and solved all at one time, it's like, how could anybody put this together? But how do you even find like single challenges like that paint that makes, doesn't get wet and stuff like that? Yeah. Like. Is it just, yeah, is it just hours of researching, like, what are cool things that I can find and ways to put them in? Or do you just, like, see something and go, oh, that, I can do that? Uh, so, I, you know, a lot of us have our, we have the things we're good at and the things that we're not good at. And there are a couple of things I'm really bad at. Like, I, I have to GPS everywhere. Can't, can't find my way around. You know, we play, <laughs> we play Pictionary-style games for happy hours at work, and nobody can tell what I'm drawing because it's all stick figures and it's atrocious. Like, I work in a design field, and I can't draw for anything. <laughs> the one thing that I think I'm really good at, like, and this has just been years of getting lucky and identifying, you know, what it is that I think I can bring to the table is synthesis. Like, I, I definitely have, I'm very lucky in that I have, this kind of innate uh, ability to to look at something and it immediately tracks with okay that's similar to this or that could work in some way with this. So mm. um, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna chalk this one up to hitting a, a lucky bit of genetic lottery uh, and that it's just something that I it happened to stick and I've been trying to figure out the best way to utilize it. So you know I had seen years and years earlier um, a video of someone using a power washer to stencil graffiti onto the sidewalk. And the idea was that instead of actually putting up graffiti with paint, you know which some people have beef with, yeah um, you can you can do the exact same thing by removing um, the the addition instead of adding the addition. Yeah. Uh, so they just took a dirty sidewalk stenciled something out and then hit it with a power washer and they cleaned it, but they also left like a really cool piece of art. Yeah. I was like, man, that's neat. You know? So I was looking at what are, what are some good ways to do that? But I also have been poor and scrappy. <laughs> so I was like, okay, like I can't really get a power washer and uh, what, what's something else I can do. So I found this hydrophobic paint, which you can use on, you know, like your, your patio furniture to, to help keep the wood looking nicer. I was like, okay, well, if we put that indoors in a parking garage on something that's not going to have a lot of uh, interaction, like nobody's messing with the the, the pylons inside the middle of a, a parking garage. But, you know, if we can put this up on here and then give people a way to interact with it, which was, you know, we provide them with a bottle of water and they splash it on there and it helps reveal this image that, again, you know, will will dry off and become invisible again shortly thereafter. That was definitely something where I was like, okay, 
I saw this cool idea years ago. How do I incorporate it for this kind of experience on a very limited budget and still make it something that's going to be like unique and, and a bit of an aha moment? Are you the kind of guy who will sit down with an idea in a notebook and just keep writing and scratching out and writing and scratching out? Or do you go for a walk and try to picture it all in your head or what? Uh, I really should get better about using notebooks. I am, I am awful at it. Uh, <laughs> but that, I, I, that's another thing that I've actually, it took years of figuring out what worked for me. Yeah. You know, I have a lot of friends that are into meditation and they had recommended meditating. And I tried that and didn't work for me. It works for them. And I found out that what works for me is, is a shower. Like I know that sounds ridiculous, but I just go turn on water and stand in the shower and then run through everything. And that's kind of my version of the, the white noise flotation tank, I guess, where it's right. like, <laughs> all right, I want to, how do I, how do I get rid of all these other distractions? I'm, I'm a person who loves and lives by distractions. Yes. You know, I've, I've always got a podcast in the background while I'm working and I got something else going on on my phone to, to my detriment. Like, I'm not saying that I'm some kind of superhero that can do that. I probably just do a lot of things <laughs> poorly because of it, but it helps keep me, helps keep me pseudo grounded. But there are times when if I need to grind on something, that's my approach. I just like, I don't need a shower, but I'm gonna go stand in the shower for 30 minutes and work this out in my head yeah it's so funny listening to you talk about uh <laughs> yourself and some of your processes because you're uh, singing a lot of my songs there man i uh <clears throat> i was not a good student in high school i can say that i graduated with a 2.01 gpa and that was because go. i had an extra gym class my senior year and <laughs> and they gave me a, a free pass where i was like a teacher's assistant so i was the <laughs> av av guy's assistant and he just gave me an a for doing nothing yeah. And that was how I <laughs> managed to get through high school. <laughs> then I went to a four-year college, never picked anything, um, flunked out in three straight semesters, then went to a community college and just kind of stopped going. And <laughs> yeah, then, yeah, I ended up working construction in the military, then in college, got a degree, taught, and now I'm doing this. Yeah, so absolutely. So it's, it's weird how uh, how things happen sometimes. <laughs> And then, you know, I was doing a podcast and it was going okay. And then one day I just got an email from this guy that says, hey, um, would you like to interview Jeff Hull? And I was like, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> then come to find out this guy who this guy who's ethereal being who sends me an email also does some pretty cool stuff. Um, <laughs> sorry, that was a long that was a long rant that kind of went nowhere. But no, no, no. Um, yeah. So what? uh you did college, you said, for just just a hot second. And then what happened between you being like, well, I'm a college dropout to you being like, I'm a super gamer? <laughs> Man, that's a really good question. Uh, I think... I think I got really lucky in that I stumbled upon a thing, a couple of things that I really cared about. You know, I went to a, I went to a, a very nice uh, high school that was a, was a cool experience. And then I think when it got time to finish high school and like move on to college and, you know, my family, like, we hadn't gone to college. That wasn't like a thing, yeah. you know, it wasn't, but they were all like, Oh, you know, you, you should definitely be going. And I wasn't ready for it. Um, you know, <laughs> which is, is why this I spent, is the same I conversation. My parents were like, go to college. I was like, I'm going to flunk out. They're like, just, just go. <laughs> <laughs> and and I think because of that and then because of the experiences that I had almost directly as a result of that I got to dip my toes into a lot of things. Yeah. You know, I I thought for a hot minute when I when I went to like my third college that I was going to be a, a vet and I and I loved it and I and I probably would have except for the first time I took part in a euthanization and I was like, "Oh, it turns out 
I can't do this. Yeah. But like I, I had, I had gone, you know, a full year thinking that this was something that I could do. And then it wasn't until I had that actual moment of interaction where I was like, Oh, I, I, this did not affect me in the way that I thought it would. Right. And, and it was, it was a lot of those kinds of experiences. And I guess it was also partly just driven by like the things that I found that I was good at. You know, I happened to randomly get into things like card games and then, you know, for a while, uh, poker was legal online and that was a very lucrative proposition. Uh, I'm a trash <laughs> poker player now, especially compared to people that know what they're doing, but for a hot minute, uh, nobody knew what they were doing and that was great. Um, <laughs> and then it's, it's been a lot of luck in finding things that I didn't know existed. You know, there's no part of me that looks back at high school and like had seen a list of potential job opportunities and been like, I want to do that. I got, English degrees also was looking at being a teacher. I uh, got talked out of it by one of my well, uh, grad school professors. Every time somebody says, I'm an English major, the follow-up question is, are you going to teach? Yeah. Because what else are you going to do with it? I tell people, <laughs> well, I want to uh, be a professional blogger and write novels. And they're like, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I haven't I haven't got the novel published yet, but it's it's good and it's ready. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Heck yeah. But yeah, like, you know, I've I've been in the design agency world for a decade now i got into that by responding to a craigslist ad with no company name on it are you serious yeah and it turned out to be an incredible company i loved them but they so, i asked them for all you know you could have showed up there and it could have been like two guys with a camera like all right take your clothes off fully expected to get checked 100 uh and i even asked them that i was like you know a year into that job i was like this is a great company why were you doing that? And they were like, ah, oh, we didn't know. We were just trying it. Like, uh, and one of my, one of my other good friends got hired in the exact same way. And it was just like, they were trying something new. Like maybe we'll just throw out a position on Craigslist. But like, I ended up in the design world from a fluke. Yeah. Like, no, I didn't even know that the job that I do now was a thing that people did. <laughs> and I, and I, you know, looking back, I'm trying to figure out if that's even something that you could do. You know, I, I took one of those uh, quizzes in like late grade school that was like, you know, put in what you like and we'll tell you oh, what job you should do. Right, right. And I got, I got alternative Chinese medicine was the, the answer that it gave me. And I will, I will never forget that because I was like, I was like in eighth grade. I was like, I don't even know what this means. But I look back at things like that and I'm like, man, the way that we approach. Yeah. Somebody could get from one of those. I was like, the way that we approach jobs and, and what we do with our, our lives and our careers is so strange. And, you know, and I, I, I love my job and I'm thankful for my job now, but there's also a, a pretty big difference between like the things that I'm super passionate about and the job that I do. I'm passionate about parts of my job that I do. Right. But there's also, again, there's parts where my job cannot give me some of the things that I need. Right. And, and for those, I'm like, okay, well, you know, now in my free time, I take that and I do it by myself. And it's actually, it's a really good distinction to have sometimes. I think, uh, I had, I had taken a crack at, um, playing poker for a living. Mm. Uh, right after, right after, during and after grad school. Um, and I was absolutely like making ends meet and I had spreadsheets and I was figuring out the, the best ways to, to optimize and monetize. And, uh, at a certain point I was like, I don't like this anymore. Like I liked it the way I was doing it when I was doing it casually and for fun. And when I have to make this into a business, it turns out I don't love it as much. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's also helped kind of foster what I think is a healthy approach between like, you know, I, I enjoy my job and there are parts of it that I like to do, but I also enjoy the things that I enjoy doing elsewise because I don't have to do them as a job. Well, that's an interesting point that you make though. And I've, I've talked to people 
like even people that love working on cars, but then they're accountants. I'm like, why don't you just work on cars? Like, well, because that's what I like to do. I don't want to do what I like to do for a job. Um, (laughs) But then that kind of goes against the mindset of like, well, if I could just do what I really wanted to do and like, so I don't know. I'm kind of caught up in that right now because I have so much time during the day that I'm, I'm like, Oh, I want to do all these things. And then sometimes I don't get to them for whatever reason. But um, yeah, maybe if I had more time grounded in to having to do other, other things that weren't necessarily my passion, but they lined up with my skills that might help me more. I don't know. And I I think everybody's mileage is going to vary on this. And I know personally, you know, like I've got student loan debt. Oh, that's fun. That's the nice thing about the military. (laughs) (laughs) But I I think about the the side projects that I'm able to take on. I have a lot of leeway in how and when I do them Mm. because I am not at the end of the day concerned with like, is this going to help out, you know, my, my debt? Yeah. Whereas with my job, I kind of don't have to worry about that as much. Right. You know, I think if I was like trying to eke every bit of value necessary out of the things that I love doing, I would approach them differently. And I do like the fact that I don't have to do that. Yeah. And I like the fact that occasionally I'm not good at this, but I theoretically could turn down projects on occasion and not work myself to the bone. <laughs> but it, it is a different approach. And that's that's just me. You know, I don't, I don't think that's any kind of universal thing. And it's certainly not a learning. But I think I figured out that for me, there's there's a decent division here that at least so far has worked. Hmm. So what else are you uh, getting into now? Well, you know what? Hold on. Hold on. Before we talk about what else you're getting into now, I am curious if you're allowed to say, I don't know if you're on a NDA or anything with, uh, with nonchalance. Um, but can you talk about, uh, like what you had to, to offer to the, the project? Uh, yeah, I mean, I can, I can speak a little bit to this. I would say that for the most part, uh, I mean, Jeff had that thing up and running. Um, like he, I, that guy approaches experiences in a way that I think is absolutely laudable. Like it's what got me so interested when the first time I saw the Institute where I watched this and I was like, people didn't come away from it talking about this really cool individual experience they had. You know, they didn't walk away from it saying like, I got to play putt putt on Saturday. They walked (laughs) away from it with this sense of like, I don't really know what I just took part in. But I, I I liked it and I'm intrigued by it. And, yeah. you know, I think that there are there are times and places for a lot of those things. And I know Jeff had talked a bit about QAnon and this has been a big question in in the the, the gaming communities kind of in general. It, it, it definitely threw a wrench in a lot of people's understandings of like, you know, what what is an appropriate amount of suspension of disbelief for a participant? Right. Um, you know, like the the citywide project that I did here in Cincinnati was uh, that you were being recruited by uh, an agency of time travelers and you needed to help fix a, uh, a time rift. And like in my head at Dude. that time. <laughs> All right. I'm coming down to Cincinnati one of these days and hanging out because the novel that I'm trying to get published right now is a time travel novel. Oh, dude. Speak to me on time travel. This is this is my jam. Uh, oh. my, it's my favorite movie genre by far. Would love to throw some recommendations out there. <laughs> Uh, sorry, I, sorry I, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but no, yeah, no, no. so you were recruiting people to uh, be agents for this uh, time traveling organization. Yeah, and this was this was actually like one of the big cruxes that uh, that helped me figure out 
what my approach looked like to these things where the first time I had drawn up the the narrative around what this experience would be like, mm. I was like, okay, you know, like who's the, who's the antagonist? Um, a lot of times in, in things like the alternate reality games that were popularized uh, in like the you know nineties and the early aughts, um, mm. you need to have this, uh, this shadowy board, right? This like shadowy figure um, who's the, the theoretical antagonist. Mm. And when I was creating CXD, which is the project I did in Cincinnati, I was like, I don't want that. I don't want to even present people with the possibility that there is something out there to get them. Yeah. It's like, how do I rewrite a narrative in a way where the bad guy isn't a bad guy, you know, where it's not, it's not the potential threat of anything um, that, that people could be afraid of or people could misconstrue. And I had written huh. a handful of versions of this narrative. And what I kind of landed on was that like the, the, bad guy was time itself right so like in this case it was there was a time rift and we needed to work together to do a series of actions to neutralize that time rift and i felt really comfortable with how that went because i was like okay how do i how do i present people with something that seems like a challenge that they'd like to be a part of and something they want to overcome but doesn't make them feel like you know there's any possibility or potential for danger to come to them and sorry, I feel like this this also got a bit off topic. Uh, no, 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 no. I'm sorry that you were just my mind was exploding while you were talking about all that stuff because I was <laughs> synthesizing it myself and <laughs> drawing some parallels to uh, to the book that I wrote because in the book that I wrote, there's not specifically a bad guy. Yeah. Um, it's uh, it's a well, it's a near future from now. People are going back in time to 1996, but when they go back to 1996 they switch into their 1996 body Heck and yeah. the person from them from 1996 goes to the future where all hell is broken loose and they're <laughs> going to die. So these people are just trying to, it, it centers on the kids. Well, one kid in specific is the narrator from 1996 and they're going back and forth and back and forth and they're not trying to defeat somebody. They're just trying to be here when yeah. the rift shuts. And it's not, I don't call it a rift. I call it the, a, yeah. the window. When the window shuts, they need to be in the right place and that's where they'll be when it shuts. So they're just more or less trying to hopscotch to the right place and be at the right place at the right time with totally, people yeah. trying to get in their way along the way. <laughs> but, and, and I think that, you know, the, the parallel I would draw from that is that like you can have something that is an experience that, ha that it's just this overall experience, or you can have something that's centered around like a singular interaction. You know, you, mm. you defeat, you defeat the one bad guy and, and you call it a day and everything ends well. Um, right. What I had loved about some of the stuff that I'd seen from from Jeff's, uh, particularly his earlier work, was this. It seemed like it was actually trying to give people a unique experience mm. in a way that even things like movies hadn't been able to do. You know, like right. I saw the the institute, and I was like, you know, how have I never heard about this? And then also, if I'm a participant, you know you can't even really spoil this experience. Like it's not <laughs> right. like you're watching a movie and you're like, Oh, it turns out this is the twist. It's like this whole world is new. Yeah. And we, I feel like we don't have a lot of that anymore. Like, you know, this isn't, this isn't like a hearkening back to the good old days or anything, but uh, well, no, that's, I mean, it, there was a, more or less along the same lines of the conversation that Jeff and I had too. He said that the, one of his biggest beefs with society nowadays is that there's just not creativity. And when somebody comes along with something truly creative, everyone kind of like, is mistrustful of it. Yeah, yeah. I I'm still fascinated by the whole monolith thing that happened a couple of months back. <laughs> yeah. And that I feel like on days one and two of the first monolith being revealed, people were like, ooh, interesting. And on day four, I saw droves of tweets that were just like, 
uh, will you just tell me if this is like a, an art thing from some college kid or if it's just some company like promoting a new movie because I'm, I'm already over it. <laughs> it's like, you know, this is, I mean, it, you know, it's just a monolith. I'm not trying to blow it out of proportion, but right. it's also like, I think that we've, we're not entirely sure how to deal with novel situations anymore. And if one of our primary responses is just frustration with it, like that to me is more of a sign that we haven't been shown the kinds of experiences that will allow for wonder. Yeah. You know, it's, I don't know if it's a sign of weakness necessarily, but uh, you know, you, you, people don't watch the magic trick anymore and just go, wow, that's cool. You know, it's, it's this immediate, like, how's it done? Where can I buy it? You know, this, this kind of sloughing off of that experience and anything that can try to bring back that sense of wonder for just a couple of milliseconds longer than it would naturally occur is something I'm super interested in. Yeah. It seems, <laughs> it seems like such a mind boggling place to start with any kind of project like that. I, I still, I almost, I'm, I'm the kind of guy that I just want to watch somebody do it from start to finish and then be like, Oh, okay. That makes sense. <laughs> so if next time you're working on a project, if you don't mind me just coming over and looking over your shoulder and yeah, going, man. Ooh, what, how did you do that? You're welcome you to about right now. Got a couple in the works. Oh, dude, because I'm telling you, if you if you put the invitation out there, you're close enough. I will show up at your houseboat. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> Come on down. Uh, I saw on your website. Actually, can I ask you about your website? <laughs> yeah, sure. Of course. OK. And it, this this might be a spoiler. I can edit it out. But where are all the clickable links on that homepage? Because you said there was I thought I saw that there were 10 and I didn't find the 10th one. Uh, yeah, I will tell you right now. It is directly in the middle. It's, it's the apostrophe in your. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the, the thing here is that, um, on my woefully outdated website, there is like a, a bit of a, a puzzly experience kind of built into it, um, that starts on the about page. Uh, that website needs some serious updates, but, um, it looks a lot better than mine and mine's been updated. <laughs> Honestly, the, the reason I made that was because I had built uh, an experience for Animal Crossing. Um, so I built a game inside the game Animal Crossing on the Switch. Um, and I was just trying to give people a place to find out how to play it. You uh, built a game within a Switch game? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you would. <laughs> so so if you have Animal Crossing, uh, feel free to go to go check out the game. It's It's automated. It's still up. You can play it whenever you'd like. <laughs> I'm going to tell my son about that. He is dying to get a switch. Oh, he's yeah. all about he's all about Roblox right now. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, the other thing I did want to ask you about before I forget is that I saw on your website that you once built a game within a hotel without letting the hotel know. <laughs> I forgot that was on there. Yeah, uh, this was actually at the uh, the Escape Room World Championships. Um, <laughs> they they had us up in the Ace Hotel in London. And, uh, you know, there's, there's like 20, there's like two dozen countries, uh, representatives for, for gamers. Um, so we were all looking for something to do. And, uh, they also had, I I guess this is okay to say they had basically, uh, an open bar of, of Red Bull plus cocktails. Um, (laughs) and I had, I had partaken in more than my doctor would have been pleased with. And, uh, (laughs) and, and at some point I was like, I think I was either bragging or like uh, 
you know, someone else and I were having a little pissing contest about um, the things that we we love to make. And I was like, dude, I'll make I'll make an escape room right now. Like, I'll I'll do it. Uh, and one of the guys on my team, Rich, turns around and goes, I'll pay a hundred dollars. He was like, I'll pay your budget. Do it. And I was like, dope, like in. And then the night continued and I woke up at like an ungodly hour in the morning to an alarm clock that I had set the night before that said, you have to build an escape room. And I was like, Oh man, <laughs> I'd forgotten about this. So waking I, up hungover in a strange yeah. place. <laughs> so I was like, okay, okay. I'll, you know, we'll just do this traditionally. So I was like, all right, I'm going to go find some lock boxes and some locks and we'll just like make something functional. And I spent two hours walking around London and there there was nothing like the locksmith yeah. places were all closed. Uh, I don't remember what day it was, but um, I'd, I'd spent about two hours trying to figure that out. I was like, okay, this is not going to work. I'm not gonna be able to get the materials that I want for this. I was like, I'll just build a city game. So I was like, okay. So I walked around the city for about two hours, taking notes on um, what I could build in a city style. almost like a, a scavenger hunt kind of approach. And I yeah. was like, well, man, by the time everybody gets done with the things they need to do today, it's going to be too dark to do this. I was like, okay, I guess I guess I have to work in the hotel. So I went back to the hotel and built a game inside the hotel. And I was like, what do I have with me? I had three decks of cards and I had three Sharpies. <laughs> so built the entire thing out of, I made an Instagram account. Uh, I hid a couple of things around the hotel. I bought some trinkets uh, and I made the game itself out of decks of cards um, with three different code sets written on them and three different colors of Sharpie. And the whole game itself was contained inside of a, you know, regular old deck of cards, including like the box. Uh, and then we let the countries run wild against each other. So when, <laughs> when one of the country's time slots was up, I would just drop the deck of cards outside their hotel door and walk away. Um, and that led to some crazy shenanigans, though. We had uh, one of the teams. I'm trying to remember exactly how this went down. I think this was this was Team Squared out of London. Uh, big shout outs to them. They. I think got one of the hotel staff caught for drinking on the job. <laughs> they were like trying to figure out what one of the clues meant. And I think it interacted with the, the, the hotel like cart that was, uh, that was, you know, uh, people putting new sheets in the rooms. And I think they <laughs> interacted with one of the bottles on there and then security came by, but then they found out there was alcohol in the bottle. And it was like this whole other thing. Um, <laughs> But yeah, uh, the the Ace Hotel mini game. I think I think I still have that account up on Instagram. Uh, <laughs> if anybody's at the Ace Hotel in London, I can send you a deck of cards. <laughs> Actually, they probably changed everything around since then. I'll probably be in Cincinnati before I'll be in London. <laughs> yeah, that's totally fair. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I've had you on for almost an hour. So, um, what else? What else you got going on right now that you can and or want to talk about? Uh, what's happening right now? So over the next few months, I've got a couple of, um, again, like nonprofit things working on. I'm working with the Cincinnati Ballet right now, which I'm super excited about. Right. You had said that you're working with the ballet and I'm wondering what a guy like you brings to the <laughs> ballet. That's a good question. Um, uh, <laughs> one of the, one of the, I think the creative directors from the ballet had actually, uh, taken part in one of the experiences that I had made for Caracol, um, another nonprofit. Uh, and they they really liked it. And, you know, they were also looking for a similar approach to um, to having an event that wasn't an in-person event. Um, so the, the Cincinnati Ballet is opening up an incredible new facility um, here in, in the city. 
and they're trying to figure out a way to like get people excited about this, get people out to the area without having something that's going to be a whole bunch of people, you know, like in a confined space. Right. So um, I'm working with them on a, an experience that will kind of highlight some of the aspects of the new neighborhood they're moving into yeah. um, and kind of give people a sense of what they can do when they visit the ballet. And, you know, they, they also hold uh, classes there. So it's like, you know, um, hey, parents, when you're dropping off your kids at these classes, here are the things that you can do that aren't sitting in your car outside, you know, while you're waiting. Sure. Um, so a lot of this, this is just a, a big passion point of mine is like, I love the city. I love these neighborhoods. And I think a lot of people would too, if they knew more about them. So I've, I've tried yeah. to spend a lot of time just like driving around, finding the cool things, finding the neat spots, and then using experiences like this to bring them to people um, in a way that's different than just saying like, Hey, you should go check out place X because like at the end of the day, everybody tells everybody else, Hey, you should go check out place X, you know, a couple times a week. And we, yeah. we get around to it when we can, but you get those kinds of recommendations so often it's it's hard to keep track of all of them. So sure. I think something like this is an experience where, you know, you can throw a dozen of those in at once and then give some more context around it other than just like I had I had a good dinner here. Yeah. Man, I really should uh I should get you in touch with the the guy that puts on that Bright Walls festival. Absolutely. I, knew, please. I, I found out about it after they had already done the first two years of it. And then the plan was to have the third year be this big finale, but then the pandemic happened. So they had like a miniature version where just like two artists came in and made some uh, murals. But when they're, when they come back again, I know he's going to try to do a big, big finale with events surrounding the the different murals, not just look at the murals or watch the murals get painted. Um, So yeah, it and being that you already know everything about Blink and he loves that festival, I think you guys would probably get on pretty well with that. Yeah, we'd love to. Yeah, um, I will say the the other thing that uh, I'm I'm hoping to work on, depending on how the the latter part of this year goes, um, had collaborated with a couple of friends uh, for for one of my friends' um, capstone projects uh, at UC, and it was uh, like a a mini kind of secret society um but Mm. the idea was that it was an experience that would get people to walk away with a skill um you know part Mm. of this for me came out of like i I enjoy things like interesting premise yeah so like i'm 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 big on just tactile experiences so um like i enjoy lock picking and i I picked up a mini safe to crack over christmas and and things (laughs) like that and had thought for a while like can you incorporate that into an escape room you know could i give someone the tools and teach them how to pick a lock inside an escape room and the answer is like probably not like uh you just there's some logistical issues there and timing and and frustration and not everybody's into like minute physical tasks but i walked away thinking like what is a way to get people to walk away from one of these experiences with a skill that they might not have had before um so what we had put together was uh a, a mini secret society of sorts built around memory um and and using uh the the method of loci the the memory palace i guess um by having people utilize uh, visual facades from some of the local bars downtown to memorize uh, the story of the secret society um, <laughs> through the the memory palace method, uh, yeah. and then your induction itself was being able to recite the entire the entire poem, which is like a little longer than it would be comfortable to to recite normally. Yeah. Um, but the idea being that you know if you've picked up this skill on how to utilize this and you're able to recall visually the bars that you've been to a bunch of times elsewise but in the context of retelling the story 
um, you know, you can theoretically get yourself into a secret society and walk away with a skill. Um, yeah. So one of the one of the things I'm hoping to do is actually like try to take that mainstream because we'd only done it for like 12 people. You know, we kind of did it for for friends as a proof of concept. But uh, I'm I'm really intrigued by things like that, like where you can have somebody walk away with that. I mean, it's it's something that I guess I would have to experience to fully to fully understand it. But I would totally be game for that. Yeah, I'll send you the I'll send you the video for it after this. Yeah, please. Cool. Um. And then, yeah, if you're if you're ever designing stuff like that in the future, and you need somebody to just run through something and, and give you feedback, let me know. Yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, man. Um, well, geez, now we're close to an hour and ten minutes. Cool. So, um, am I keeping you right now from anything? I'm good. I got work to catch up on, but I got time. All right. Well, we'll start wrapping it up here. I usually okay. say that about ten to fifteen minutes before I actually wrap. No worries. But, um. All right. Well. Then I guess this is uh, as good a point as any time to do that part of the show where I say, if you've got anything that you want to verbally promote right now, go ahead and do it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm going to throw shout outs to Signal. Uh, absolutely. Um, I think that is an incredible experience. Uh, so oh, yeah. definitely recommended. Um, aside from that, uh, if you've got Animal Crossing, check out the game. It's on, uh, it's on okapikid.com. Uh, okapi, like the animal. O-K-A-P-I, kid. Uh and aside from that, if you want to do anything really cool, holla at your boy. Uh, always, always down for making some ridiculous things. All right, yeah, and I'll put your um, I'll put your social media links up here on uh, Facebook, Instagram, cool. Twitter. Yeah, they're all they're all the same. They're all the copy kid. Cool, and I'll have that in the notes. People can uh, figure out how to find you, and then figure out what kind of stuff you've been getting into. And hopefully, if they have cool things that they want to connect with you on, they will do so. Yeah. And um. Maybe uh, maybe when it comes time to actually push this book out into the world, we can talk about some interesting ways to get people uh, to look at it. Now we're talking. Absolutely. Yeah. Because you're my guy right there, man, talking about all that time travel stuff. <laughs> oh, big fan. Yeah. Also, you know what? Actually, that's, I'll take a second to do that. Shout outs to a couple of movies. Uh, Primer, my number one movie uh, of I all time. I still got to see that one. You're going to love it. See, people keep saying, if you like time travel, you got to see it. It's, yeah. Because the whole thing is it's really low budget, right? $8,000. Yeah. Yeah. I think. And it still blows your mind from what I hear. Yeah. It's incredible. Uh, so I would say primer triangle and predestination. Predestination. Like, I think it's predestination. It's got Ethan Hawke. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, are some of the top ones that like, you know, I mean, Tenet's great, I think personally, but like, I think those three are usually not on people's radars and should be. Well, I'm going to check out predestination. Cause that's the only one that, Unless I see like the the cover for it, and then I go, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But right now, off the top of my head, it's not. I I saw it randomly on like uh, Amazon's recommendations. Had never heard of it. Uh, okay, so it... I just want to make sure that I wasn't like living under a rock, and everybody knows this movie, but me. No, no, not at all. I, yeah, I I usually at least get these things recommended. Like Primer was a recommendation from friends who said the same thing. Like, hey, you love yeah. time travel, you love this. Uh, that was just a random find that was very, very good. Yeah, that one's on my um to watch list that just hasn't gotten on there and also i still got to watch the rest of uh i was gonna call it the institute uh dispatches from elsewhere i just love dispatches i'm yeah i'm only a couple episodes into it but man that it's a very very cool uh reworking of of the the original idea it is and, it J- and jason siegel's an amazing actor yeah the the cast is absurd uh yeah. all, all of them actually just incredible yeah 
All right. Well, enough about other people's stuff. Everybody <laughs> make sure that you go out and uh, you check out Mike, Augie, Augustine um, at okapikid.com. I, say, I always feel like I say that word wrong because it's such a funny word to look at. Sorry. Yeah. No, the, the story behind that is I have a, I have a zebra tattoo um, from my right knee to my ankle. And oh, yeah. Years ago, I went out to the zoo with my mom and uh, there's an animal called the okapi that just has zebra stripes on its leg. And she was like, that looks like you. And it stuck. Uh, but that's been that's been quite a while. Uh, so, yeah, nobody knows how to pronounce it. Everybody thinks it's OK Cupid. Um, but <laughs> at this point, I'm sticking with it. Yeah, no, it works. All <laughs> right. So everybody go to okapikid.com. Look for him on social media. Um, really, really, really in- interesting, exciting stuff. If you can figure out how to get through his homepage. <laughs> it's not that bad. <laughs> Well, hey, man, thank you for coming on. Uh, no, my pleasure. Hold on, hold on for just a second after I click the record button, right? Cool, cool. All right. So uh, thank you, everybody, and uh, check in next time. Thanks. Bye. Check out Augie Okapikid, O-K-A-P-I-K-I-D, on all social media and also okapikid.com to find his website, O-K-A-P-I-K-I-D. And check out the Signal podcast that he helped out on, too. And the last episode with Jeff, if you haven't checked that out too, check them all out. Later, guys.